I have a feeling this is going to be a meaty episode. Joe Biden, this is your life. Um, who presented that show again, actually, with, you know, the big red book? Not the big red book. Yes, Michael Aspel, wasn't it, uh, yeah. in recent times? And then, of course, the famous Irish broadcaster Eamon Andrews. Yeah, I love that show. I think... Um, was it Daniel O'Donnell? His reaction was my favourite. He genuinely seemed so shocked. So Michael, away to you. Thank you, Bruce. Now, Bruce is in on this one and he knows that I'm here to do a special version of Danny Boy because tonight, Daniel O'Donnell, this is your life. Are you sure? <laughs> it's kind of hard to surprise people like that anymore, I think. And of course, these days it wouldn't be a red book. I suppose it would be what, a big red iPad with your Wikipedia page on it. And actually, speaking yeah. of which, Jackie Fox, I did check up if you have a Wikipedia page. You do not. You need to get Me? on that. Because right now, when you search Jackie Fox on Wikipedia, you get a male English cricketer who was born in 1929 and an American attorney and former musician by the name of Jackie Fox. Yes, so Jackie Fox, who was a member of The Runaways with Joan Jett. Yes, she was. <laughs> I get tagged all the time on Twitter by her fans and they think it's they think I'm her and I'm like I'm so sorry it's not she sounds amazing crime solver crime solver by day musician by night sounds great I tell you it's a great name for a musician I'm wasted in journalism from RTE News this is States of Mind. This American carnage We've been fired at with rubber bullets. stops right here and stops right now. I do not believe we're the dark, angry nation that Donald Trump sees in his tweets in the middle of the night. Your U.S. Election 2020 podcast. With Brian O'Donovan in Washington. And Jackie Fox in Dublin. Today. When I was a kid, I'd talk like that. And some of you smile. But the call said, my wife was dead, my daughter was dead, and I wasn't sure how my sons were going to make it. You know I can't let a comment go by without quoting an Irish poet. People know me, says Joe Biden, but really, do they? If he wins the election, he'll be 78 at the time of inauguration. That's a lot of mileage in life. But what do people know about him other than he's old, he was Barack Obama's vice president, he made some blunders here and there. It kind of seems like that's the top layer of Joe Biden, right? Yeah, and it's interesting you say that people don't really know him because actually polling and focus groups have shown that a lot of people feel they don't really know much about him. And I think right now we keep talking about how he's way ahead in the opinion polls, but there's a bit of a problem there, I think. He is ahead in the opinion polls a lot of the time because voters really, really, really don't like Donald Trump. And it's not necessarily that they love Joe Biden. He's just the alternative to Donald Trump. And that's a bit of a problem. You want a bit more enthusiasm behind you. You don't want to be ahead in the polls just because they really dislike the other guy. Mm. My own dealings with Joe Biden, I met him at an Irish embassy event at the end of 
2018. It was a couple of months before he announced his candidacy for the Democratic run. I think that night in that embassy, for me, sort of encapsulated what many people see Joe Biden and how many people view him. He would not be the best public speaker or the best debater or the best media performer. But he comes across as a very nice guy, very down to earth and very good with people with a lot of empathy. And that night at the Irish Embassy, he made this kind of mediocre speech that was a bit rambling. It went a bit off point. It wasn't great. But then he came off the podium and he shook the hands of everybody in that room, Jackie. He was the friendliest guy of the night. Everybody was delighted to meet him. He worked the room, as they say, extremely friendly gave all the journalists a lot of time. We'd been mm. told by his press people in advance that he would not be doing media interviews. But this was a case of, yeah, right, you couldn't stop him. He yeah. spoke to every journalist. I was lucky to get a couple of minutes with him one-on-one -on, -one on camera, much to the annoyance of his press people who were trying to pull him out of the room. So for me, as I say, that night sort of encapsulated this guy, wasn't the best performer on the stage, but was very good down to earth, meeting, greeting, shaking the hands and talking with people. Let's go back to basics then here and find out who Joe Biden is. Let's give Joe Biden the Michal Omar Herkti treatment. Who is he? Where did he come from? What did his dad do for a living? Where his great grannies and granddads, where did they come from? Don't know if we can tell you what clubs they're affiliated with, uh, but we'll get as close as we can, I think. Yeah, Joe Biden born in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Wasn't a hurling stronghold, to use Michal Omar Herkti <laughs> terminology. Born back in 1942. So he's the eldest of four children, Joseph C. And Catherine Finnegan were his parents. And Finnegan, yes, a nod mm -hmm. to his Irish heritage there. And we'll come on to that in a little while. And actually, uh, he called his granddaughter Finnegan as a nod to his mother's maiden name. His father struggled to find a steady job after a series of business setbacks. Yeah, and he always says that he holds both Pennsylvania and Delaware in his heart. As when he was 10, the family moved from Pennsylvania to Delaware, which on a map is between Washington, D.C. and New York, if you can imagine it. You know, a couple of folks uh, up here uh, reporting on my coming back home made the points and said, Joe, you, uh, Senator, you, you left here in 1953, you guys moved. And like, isn't this a bit of a, a hype? Well, I want to tell you all, many of you Scrantonians have had friends you grew up with who've left Scranton. Has Scranton ever left the heart of anyone you knew who moved from Scranton? I don't know, not a joke. And things weren't easy for them there too. His father got a job selling cars and the Biden boys shared one bedroom with their uncle, Edward Finnegan, whom they affectionately called Boo Boo, a nickname because he had a stutter. Yeah, and his uncle wasn't the only one to have a stutter. As a child, Joe Biden himself also had a very debilitating, serious stutter. And he came up with a lot of strategies and a lot of solutions to help himself overcome this. He tried to avoid stuttering by playing out the conversations in advance in his head, practising speaking while holding pebbles in his mouth. It's something that he still talks about to this day and the lasting effect it had on him. Stuttering, you think about it, is the only handicap that people still laugh about that still humiliate people about. And they don't even mean to. When I was a kid, I talked like that. And some of you smile. If I said to you when I was a kid, I had a cleft palate and people made fun of me, or I had a withered arm, no one would smile. No one would smile. It's a debilitating situation. I also think he worked on stuttering by reading Yeats aloud. Otherwise, 
non-eventful upbringing, uh, got a law degree from Syracuse University in the 60s and was drafted for the Vietnam War after finishing law school, but failed the physical because he had asthma. Yeah, he went on to become a lawyer. and But before that, he met his future wife, Nelia Hunter, on spring break in the Bahamas during his junior year of college. When he first met her mother, she asked what he wanted to do for a living. And apparently he said that he wanted to be president of the US. Hmm. Joe and Nelia married in 1966 and their son, Bo, was born in 1969, followed by Hunter a year and one day later. That's almost Irish twins. Absolutely. And then their daughter, Naomi, was born the following year. And after spending some time as a public defender in Delaware, Joe Biden got his call to office in 1972. And at only 29 years of age, he became the fifth youngest person ever to be elected to the US Senate. What amazing news, but as we know now, only to be clouded in real tragedy. Yeah, it was desperate. Just a few weeks after Biden had won his Senate seat, tragedy struck. A tractor trailer struck the family's station wagon. His wife and his three children were driving home from picking up a Christmas tree. His wife, Nelia, their 13-month-old daughter, Naomi, died in the crash. And his sons were hospitalised with serious injuries, but they did go on to survive. You knew. You just felt it in your bones. Something bad happened. And I knew. I don't know how I knew. But the call said, my wife was dead, my daughter was dead, and I wasn't sure how my sons were going to make it. For the first time in my life, I understood how someone could consciously decide to commit suicide. Not because they were deranged, not because they were nuts, because they'd been to the top of the mountain, and they just knew in their heart they'd never get there again. I think he was even sworn into the Senate in his son Bo's hospital room. Understandably, the death of his wife and child, that would shape his personal and political career for the rest of his life. Yeah, and after that crash, he stayed in Wilmington, Delaware. He would take the train to and from Washington every day for more than 30 years. And that experience would be something that he could tap into and he would often reference it and people felt he could really empathise with them and speak about tragedy and speak about loss because he had suffered himself so much in his own life. And, you know, fast forward to 2015. I know we're jumping ahead a bit here, but his son, Bo, died of brain cancer at just 46 years of age in 2015. What was that last moment? He looked at me and he said, Dad, I'm not afraid. I'm okay. I always wear this rosary. And uh, he had it on at that time. Um, And um, it was... uh, at the very end, and his brother was sitting there, and the three of us were holding hands, and um, he wanted to reassure us. Joe even described him as Joe 2.0. He was seen as this up-and-coming person in the Democratic Party, being an Iraq War veteran, hugely charismatic, and Delaware Attorney General too. That's right. And then he went on to remarry in 1977 to Jill Jacobs. They actually went on a blind date arranged by his brother and together they have a daughter called Ashley. For his political life, if we can go into that, he was a six-term senator from Delaware. That's 36 years as a US senator. Since being elected first to office in 1972, he's had his fair share of wins and controversies. He presided over Clarence Thomas's Supreme Court confirmation at which Anita Hill testified that Thomas had sexually harassed her. And we spoke about that in one of our podcasts 
it's I think it was the women issue. Uh, and he said, Joe Biden, that he regrets how he treated her among them, how no witnesses were called corroborating Hill's testimony. In 1994, an act to help protect women from crime was a major part of his career. But his behaviour with girls and women has drawn scrutiny over the years too for being very hands-on with them and also unwelcome touching, something which he has apologised for. Yeah, a lot of the allegations were, like you say, sort of hugging, becoming too close to people. And then one allegation was much more serious and it was made by a woman by the name of Tara Reid, a former staff assistant in his Senate office, and she actually accused him of sexual assault, something which he has always denied. Race has always been a big focus Mm. of Joe Biden's career in the 1970s. He opposed court-ordered school busing as a method of desegregation in public schools. This was something that came up during the Democratic debates. He came under fire from his opponent, Kamala Harris. In 1984, he blocked the then Alabama U.S. Attorney General Jeff Sessions from a federal judgeship over racism allegations, which he always denied. He wrote the 1994 Crime Act, which hardened federal prison sentences, and it's been criticised for disproportionately targeting black Americans. He's really been involved in politics for so long when we are jumping from the 70s, the 80s to the modern day. But all of these things we've been talking about, Brian, even, you know, being the chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, voting for the Iraq War, Anita Hill, being handsy with women, these don't seem to be issues that could cause major problems for his campaign, it seems. That came from someone much closer to him, his son. Yes, that's right. His son, Hunter Biden, often a controversial figure. He's been under scrutiny for his business dealings. He has someone who's been described as having a very tumultuous personal life. At one point, an Obama White House aide said that Hunter was on the loose, potentially undermining his father's message. Yeah, Hunter has struggled for decades with addiction and drug abuse and was discharged from the military after testing positive for cocaine. A bitter divorce with his first wife, Kathleen, was fodder for the gossip pages. And then he had a relationship with his brother's widow, Hallie, um, as well. Also in his professional life, eyes were on him due to his position on the board of a Ukrainian gas company, which had ties to former Ukrainian President Viktor Yanukovych. Hunter Biden for a time there became the focus of the Trump campaign, claiming that Joe Biden used the office of the vice president to advance and protect his son's interests, almost seeing him as a weak link. I've done esteemable things and things that are, have been in my life that I, that, that I regret. In and out of rehab seven, eight times. Say it nicer to me. <laughs> Sought treatment Sought for treatment. an issue like Sought most treatment people. for substance abuse yes, issues so seven insensitive. or eight times. <laughs> I'm so sorry. But I want, like, I'm, I think this is a human question. Yeah. Do you worry? No, but for real, let me say Do something. you worry that all of this noise, even though it's just noise, no, it's I don't still, worry. that it could affect your sobriety? Of course. Look, you don't want to live in the worry of it because then you're feeding the beast. I have no answer other than this. You gotta live in the connections that you have to healthy things. And I have so many of them. And I gotta live there instead of living in fear like, oh my God, the stress is gonna make me drink or the stress is gonna make me use. Yeah, but many of the big Biden controversies are actually ones that he's created himself. He can be very gaff prone. He's put his foot in his mouth on several occasions over the years. He said at one point that he was shot at in Iraq, but he later to clarify that he was near where a shot had landed. He said he'd met survivors of the 2018 Parkland, Florida school shooting while he was vice president, but that shooting happened after he'd left office. 
I watched what happened when the kids from Parkland marched up to, and I, 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 I met with them, and then they went off to up on the hill when I was vice president, and they went off the hill to go into those neighborhoods. All those congressmen were like, no, I'm not here. I'm not here. I, I don't, don't tell them I'm around. And in recent weeks, Jackie's also landed himself in hot water. He told an African-American interviewer, you're not black if you vote for Donald Trump. And just last week, he had to clarify comments he made about a lack of diversity in the African-American community. Definitely something the campaign seems to be worried about. But we must remember that this isn't Joe Biden's first presidential bid. Oh, no, this is his third run for the White House, not his first rodeo at all. He also sought the Democratic nomination for president in 1988 and 2008. And I think this is where we should bring in the guy who helped ruin his first White House run over 30 years ago. After conceding just last weekend that no one knows me, Senator Joseph Biden of Delaware today became the fifth Democrat to declare he's seeking the party's presidential nomination. In 1988, the clarion call for my generation is not, it is our turn, but rather, it is our moment of obligation and opportunity. Bill Schneider, professor at George Mason University, Thank you so much for joining us on States of Mind. So, Bill, can you tell us how did you, as you say yourself, inadvertently help Joe Biden ruin his first White House run? Oh, my goodness. That was 30 some year, years ago in 1987. Um, I had been in Britain covering the 1987 British general election where Neil Kinnock was the leader of the Labour Party against Margaret Thatcher, Akinnick ultimately lost. And there was a party political broadcast uh, in Britain that year. And one of them was made by a famous film director, Hugh Hudson, who made the film Chariots of Fire. Uh, He made a broadcast for the Labour Party, which was a biography of Mr. Kinnock. I think that the real privilege of being strong is the power that it gives you to help people who are not strong. It was a brilliant biography. It could only have been made by a professional filmmaker. Uh, it affected audiences all over Britain. I saw Tory audiences at the Carlton Club move to tears as they watched it on television. It was a brilliant documentary, about 15 minutes, about 10 minutes long. Uh, and it was so good that I brought a copy. I asked a friend of mine, at the BBC if I could get a copy of it. He made me a copy, I brought it back to the United States. I had to have it translated into a compatible format for the United States. Uh, I did that at the uh, studio of a friend of mine who's a political consultant. He thought it was brilliant. He mentioned it to Joe Biden, who was then running for president as a, uh, for the Democratic nomination. Biden called me through a mutual friend and asked if I had a copy of that broadcast, and I said I did. He said, can we have lunch next week, and can you bring a copy of the broadcast? Well, the broadcast was a public document. It just hadn't been shown in the United States, but it had been written up in newspapers, and he really wanted to see it. So I I brought it with us to lunch. I showed it to him. He, too, like everyone else, thought it was a brilliant piece of work. He asked if he could have the tape to make a copy, and he did, and he gave me the original back. 
And that's all I knew until some, a couple of months later when the whole scandal broke. And at the time, I happened to be uh, at a conference in Europe when my editor called me and said, did you lend Joe Biden the uh, party political broadcast? And I said, I did. And she said, well, the New York Times has an article on the front page by Maureen Dowd, then their political correspondent. Now she's a columnist in which she charges that he stole uh, much of a biographical speech from Neil Kinnock and presented Kinnock's life as if it were his own. And I started thinking as I was coming over here, why is it that Joe Biden is the first in his family ever to go to a university? Why am I the first Kinnock in a thousand generations to be able to get the university? Why is it that my wife, who's sitting out there in the audience, is the first in her family to ever go to college? Why is Glennis the first woman in her family in a thousand generations to be able to get the university? The whole plagiarism scandal then broke. I went back to the United States. I was on television for several nights. Um, and uh, it, was, it was a very dramatic event because nothing like that had ever happened in a presidential campaign. And he was uh, pressured and did eventually leave the campaign because of the plagiarism charge. But were you surprised um, about the outrage about this at the time? Did people really care or was it more of a political thing? Well, it was a press phenomenon. The press really cares. People in the press, academia, uh, uh, those are the people, writers, who are outraged by plagiarism. Ordinary voters aren't sure what the big deal is, and they really weren't sure in 1987. But the press really treated it as a very big deal. Do we ever know who passed on the tape to the New York Times that tipped them off that Joe Biden was plagiarizing? Well, that's the famous story behind the story, uh, which I was only part of. Uh, I also showed the tape to my editor at the Atlantic magazine, which I was writing for at the time. Now I write for The Hill. But the, the, my editor at Atlantic, and I did not know this, he showed the tape to a good friend, John Sasso, who happened to live in Boston, where The Atlantic is published, and who uh, was working for, he was the campaign uh, director for Michael, Duka for Michael Dukakis, who eventually won the nomination. Well, what happened was Sasso, it turned out at the end, was the person who sent the tape, a copy of the tape, blindly to Maureen Dowd at the New York Times. He sent it to her in a plain brown envelope. There were two videos on the tape, one of Joe Biden Citing, and without citing the Kinnick speech, but using Kinnick's words. And right after it, the actual uh, broadcast of Kinnick's original speech, side by side. There was no return address, no indication of who had sent it. And for months, no one knew where the tape came from. Michael Dukakis, when he found out some months later that the tape was sent by John Sasso, he fired John Sasso uh, and said he didn't want people on his campaign to be participating in what he called dirty tricks. Mm. I happened to be speaking to a friend of mine in California who wrote for the San Jose Mercury News. Uh, and he said, he told me on the telephone that he did not see what John Sasso did that was so terrible. He said all he was guilty of was, quote, spreading vicious truths about uh, Joe Biden. 
Sometimes it's difficult to remember that Joe Biden was once a middle-aged, middle-of-the-road, third-term senator from Delaware who was barely known running for president. How was he as a candidate back then in 87? How was he welcomed before he had to throw in the towel, before that plagiarism controversy? He was respected as a senator. Now, this was before the controversies over the Clarence Thomas confirmation hearings when there was a lot of criticism of the way he handled Anita Hill's testimony. Um, That was before the 1990s when he voted for several controversial bills like the crime bill sponsored by a Democratic president, Bill Clinton. Um, He wasn't a particularly controversial senator. He was always regarded as a moderate. He was never a favorite candidate of the left wing of the Democratic Party, and he's not today. Uh, If they wanted to, if they controlled the party, they would have nominated Bernie Sanders, who came in a a strong second. Um, Joe Biden is a respected Washington figure. But you know, this year, is a year when given the chaos in the United States, in the world, and in Washington, a lot of people want someone who knows the ropes, who's been around, who knows government. Joe Biden was a senator for over 40 years now. He's been around a long time. So American voters are doing something they rarely do. They're supporting an, an insider, not an outsider, for president of the United States. That's normally a very vulnerable position to be in. But this year, they want someone They appear to want someone who knows the ropes after Donald Trump. Bill, you could look at this as a gaffe, as a misstep, and many would say that Joe Biden is prone to gaffes. Just in recent days, he had to clarify comments he made about African-American community not being diverse enough. Do you think he's gaffe prone? And do you think we could see more of this kind of thing? And could it scupper his election chances this time around once again? I would say that he has the tendency to make gaffes. He did even 30-some years ago. Uh, I'm not sure that the use of the Kinnock uh, speech was a was a gaffe. He had cited it several times in other speeches, but he had d- deliberately said, as Neil Kinnock said in his biography, but there were a couple of times when he did not cite it, and that's what created the scandal. He had some record when he was in law school. Uh, he was accused of plagiarizing an, uh, an essay during his first year and had to repeat a course. Uh, from time to time, he does make gaffes. That's, I think, part of his persona. I don't think it's a moral calamity. Uh, I, I believe and I hope that he has control over that now and it makes fewer gaps than he used to. In politics in the United States, everything you say can be taken as a gap, even if it's absolutely correct. Someone will take it as a gap, an embarrassment, and they'll try to make an issue of it. That's part of politics today. When you look at Joe Biden's position in the opinion polls right now, he is way ahead of Donald Trump. And some people, I would say, maybe at their peril, are writing Donald Trump off. What's your own assessment of this as a political analyst? Do you think we should be in danger of reading too much into this big lead that Joe Biden currently has? Well, he is ahead, but not much more ahead than Hillary Clinton was at this time in 2016. Things can change. They can change overnight. Harold Wilson, the prime minister of Britain, once said, a week is a long time in politics. A day can be a long time. Uh, These things tend to go on and on for a long time. Um, So I I don't think it's likely to disable his campaign. He's ahead principally for one reason, and one reason only, Donald Trump. Trump is an intensely polarizing figure. He has people who adore him. It's virtually a cult. Uh, They worship him. They think he ought to be on 
Mount Rushmore with Washington and Jefferson and Lincoln as one of our great presidents. And we also have a considerable constituency of voters, most of them Democrats, who despise Donald Trump. He, he embarrasses them. He thinks he's, they think he's a shameful president. Uh, what they object to is his poor character. They believe he's not a man of good character and sets a poor example as president. So you have people on both sides. My feeling is Joe Biden wouldn't have to do anything in the rest of the campaign, and he still would probably win, simply because most of the people who are voting for Biden are people who will never vote for Donald Trump and who are desperate to get rid of Trump. While those presidential runs in 1988 and 2008 didn't exactly work out, he did become Barack Obama's vice president. A strong friendship between them was born with bromance and memes. Barack Obama even awarded Joe Biden with the Presidential Medal of Freedom, the highest civilian award in the US. The best vice president America's ever had, Mr. Joe Biden. As Yates put it, because I had to <laughs> quote an Irish poet and Seamus Haney was taken. <laughs> Think where man's glory most begins and ends and say my glory was I had such friends. You know, I can't let a comment go by without quoting an Irish poet. <laughs> and Seamus Haney, one of his poems said, When you, when, you can, when you can find someone who says it better, use it. And during Joe Biden's time as vice president, his roots with Ireland grew deeper. I have been dying to play this for the whole podcast. Play it, Brian. play it. Come this fall. One and all, we are voting in November. You have a voice, make a choice for our country and our children. Clear the way to a better day. That's the vote for Biden. Brian, I lo- when you sent me that, I started to listen to it and I love it. I love it. You're wondering what on earth is that piece of music? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, this was an Irish Americans for Biden virtual rally that was held a few days ago. So it was this big Zoom webinar type thing involving Irish music, Irish musicians, poetry, as well as Biden endorsements from well-known Irish American politicians like Congressman Brendan Boyle. We fortunately have many allies on Capitol Hill. One place that has not been an ally has been in the Oval Office. What a refreshing change it will be to have Joe Biden come this January, to have someone who supports the Good Friday Agreement and wants to protect it. Someone who's not mindlessly cheerleading for Brexit, no matter the cost. And there were also endorsements from celebrities like Star Wars actor Luke Skywalker himself, Mark Hamill. And of course, I went on to make Two of the Star Wars films uh, in in Ireland, uh, The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi. And uh, uh, Skellig Michael was the island right off the coast that we, we where we filmed. And like I say, uh, unlike any other place, uh, you could believe it was in a galaxy far, far away because I'd never seen such beauty on Earth. We've got to work uh, tirelessly 
until Joe Biden becomes our next president. And I think the whole thing was just a chance to drum up support among the Irish-American community to get that Irish-American vote for Joe Biden. And also a reminder that this is campaigning in a mm-hmm. pandemic. It's a virtual rally. As I said, it was this big webinar where over a thousand people dialed in to hear all of these people asking for their votes for Joe Biden. But this highlights that Joe Biden has a very unique relationship with Ireland. He has visited on many occasions. It's been a wonderful, wonderful sure homecoming. Has. And I guess maybe I have to tell you, I was surprised that thousands of people line the streets. He is no stranger at all. And he said that being Irish has shaped his entire life. Yeah, Joe Biden made a very high-profile visit to Ireland as US Vice President in 2016. And when he was there, he visited parts of Louth, Mayo, Meath. These were all the areas that his ancestors had immigrated from. He said once, Northwest Pennsylvania will be written on my heart, but Ireland will be written on my soul. So the roots are, great-great-grandfather was Blewett, Edward Blewett and his wife Mary. They emigrated from Knockmore, County Mayo, 160 years ago. And then on the other side, his mother's maiden name was Finnegan, and her people had emigrated from the Cooley Peninsula in Louth in 1850. The green is definitely in his blood, so... Time is running out for Joe Biden to convince voters that he should take the Oval Office. What else does he have to do with not much time left? Not much time left, but some big things coming up. We've got the debates coming up. We're going to get more interviews coming up. And I spoke at the top there about this time that I met him in the Irish Embassy, where he made this kind of OK speech from the podium. But then he hit the ground and he shook hands with the entire room and everybody left that night loving the guy because they'd met him and they'd shaken his hands. Problem is, Jackie, he cannot work the room anymore in a pandemic. He can't shake people's hands. He can't get up close and personal and he can't make that personal connection. Now it's at a remove. Now it's going to rely more on the virtual rally, on the Skype interview from the basement or on the debate stage alongside Donald Trump, where areas that he's not as comfortable and that he's not as strong... So it will be interesting to see over the coming weeks and months how he handles that when he's taken out of his comfort zone. Yep, we got a busy time ahead, Brian. Um, a lot more podcasts to make between now and November. Absolutely. Looking forward to it, Jackie. Chat to you next week. Chat to you soon.